We live in a world with a staggering amount of information available and is put out there on a daily basis. Did you know that we generate each day 500, this is worldwide by the way, not just the United States, but worldwide, 500 million tweets, 294 billion emails, 4 million gigabytes of Facebook data, 65 billion WhatsApp messages, that one surprised me a little bit. 720,000 hours of new content on YouTube. That's every single day. And in 2018, the total amount of data that was captured, copied, and consumed was 33 zettabytes. Now, most of you have no idea what that means, right? Unless you're a techie, maybe you know what that is. That equals 33 trillion gigabytes. So does that clear it up for everybody? Okay, I didn't think so. So here's something to, to kind of put that in, in a little bit of reference. One zettabyte is enough storage to hold 223 billion DVD quality movies, okay? So 2018, 33 zettabytes. That almost doubled to 59 zettabytes in 2020, and it's predicted to reach 175 zettabytes by 2025. Now, it's safe to say there's a lot of information available out there, right? And whenever there's that much information, there are a lot of crazy ideas out there. And sometimes those crazy ideas can make their way into the church. For example, in May of this year, Trinity Lutheran Church in Greensville, South Carolina, hosted an event called Drag Me to Church, where they invited a drag queen to lead in what they called a unique style of worship which includes as many laughs as it does amens. Their promo said the event was, and I quote, about church, faith, and God's inclusive love. As we are not the first society to be dealing with some really wacky stuff infiltrating the church. In fact, in the book of Colossians, which we get to jump into a new study today, we're calling it Jesus Plus Nothing, but we're going to go through the book of Colossians because this book was written primarily to address some of the false teaching that has started to infiltrate the church. We don't know exactly what it was, probably some mixture of early Gnosticism, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a minute, and maybe some of the Judaizers, which were teaching, you know, you had to follow the law. There's probably some mixture of both of those. But what we do know is that whatever the specific false teaching was, the answer was a better understanding and focus on Jesus. And this book is a great reminder that correct teaching matters. It really does matter uh, that, that we teach in accordance with the truth. Because if we don't, you can see some of the weird stuff that starts to happen. I just gave you one example. There are plenty of others out there. And it, it really begins to take us down a dangerous path if we get off focus. And that's why we've entitled this series, Jesus Plus Nothing. Because the book of Colossians is all about, let's just come back to Jesus. Let's talk about who he is. There's uh, some great theology here uh, in this book. So let's jump into Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to work our way through. We're just going to go verse by verse through uh, in sections each week, starting with chapter 1 today. We're going to get through the first 14 verses, but let's just begin reading together. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. 
the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard and the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear faithful servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's a lot packed in to that little section there. Uh, but it starts off with Paul identifying himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. And I think what he's saying here is this is a reminder that, that he is following a calling that, that Christ himself placed on his life. He's about to say some difficult things. He's about to be direct in confronting some things. And so he establishes from the very beginning the authority does not rest on who he is. But the authority rests on his apostleship, the fact that he was called by God into this. This wasn't his idea. You may remember he was on the road to Damascus to persecute the followers of the way, as they were called back then. And Jesus spoke to him, called him into this. And so Paul is resting on that, and, and he addresses the, God's holy people, or your translation may say the saints in Colossae. And then it says the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So apparently there were some that had become unfaithful and had followed some other paths, but he's addressing them. And this city of Colossae uh, was a city located in Asia Minor. Uh, it was in what was called the Lycus Valley, which also included Hierapolis and Laodicea. It was about 100 miles or so from Ephesus. And though it had once been a very important trade city, by this time, one commentator referred to Colossae at this time as in the afternoon of its existence. It was no longer uh, at the forefront of everything and probably was the least important of all the cities that Paul wrote to. It's not mentioned at all in the book of Acts. Um, but the fact that Paul would write a letter speaks to the importance of the issue that he is addressing here. Because this false teaching needed to be combated. And so we get in this some incredible theology. We get some incredible Christology. You know, theology means study of God. Christology means study of Christ. And so there's some amazing Christology of who Jesus is as the second person of the Trinity. And, and, and we just get this, this depth. And we'll get into it next week talking about the supremacy of Christ and how he's over everything. And we'll, we'll come back to that next Sunday. Um, but, but he's addressing some of these false teachings, but he's also thanking God, verses 3 and 4. He's rejoicing and thanking God for those that have stayed faithful. And he's encouraging them to continue to do that. And, and what it says, that the, the reason he rejoices, verse 4, he says, because we have heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for God's people. And I read this, that, okay, he's, he's commending them because he says your faith is strong and your love is strong. And that made me think about what Jesus said when he was asked the most important commandment. What, what was his answer? The most important commandment is, remember this? 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he added, and he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he said, have a strong faith and a love for God, and then love other people. That's what seems to be happening here in Colossae, and so Paul is rejoicing in that. Um, this, this word faith, as most of you probably know, means trust. It means belief, but the idea is more than just an intellectual, you know, I agree with the truth of this statement. To have faith in God means that you are depending on God. It means that you're leaning on Him with everything. He's your only hope. You're, you're trusting in Him fully. And when we come to that point of placing our faith in Christ, something really amazing happens. And that is that God assigns to us the righteousness of Christ. We're not righteous on our own, but we become righteous in God's eyes at the point that we place our trust in Jesus because he has done all the work. It's, it's all about what Christ has done, and this book is a great reminder of that. Christ is the one who died on the cross for us. He gave his life for us. He rose from the dead in victory over sin and death, and at the point that we turn from our sin and place our faith in Christ alone to save us, then we cross over from spiritual death to spiritual life. Church, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that there are, are some of us, there will be some of us today that hear this message, whether in person or online, that, that haven't yet made that decision to trust in Christ that maybe know the information, and, and, and if that's you, maybe you, you, you've heard this before, and you know the gospel story, you know Jesus died, you know he rose again, uh, you know that salvation can be found in him, but you just haven't been able to bring yourself to the point of trusting him. And maybe you're close. Maybe you feel like there's just something holding you back. Maybe it's a feeling of unworthiness. I don't deserve this. And if you feel that way, join the club. None of us deserves the grace that God extends, but he gives it to us anyway. And so if you've never made that decision to trust in Christ, today would be a great day to do that. And before we close today, I'm going to lead us through a prayer that we can pray to say, Jesus, I'm giving my heart to you. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But, but once we do make that decision to trust in Christ, that's not the end of faith. That's just the beginning of it. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, if we walk by faith, that means that we are living by it, right? It is an active thing. It is a daily thing, something that, that we live out. It becomes our, our new modus operandi, to speak. It's, it's how we live. It's just, it's just who we are. We walk by faith. We live by faith. And, and that seems to be what Paul is getting at in this passage. And it's, it's noteworthy that in talking about the importance of Faith, he also talks about the importance of loving one another well. So you have to have faith in, in God. It has to be right teaching. We have to know who Christ is, and we got to get that right, but we also have to love each other well. Have you all ever noticed that most of us as individuals, and I would say even as churches, we tend to lean more either toward the side of emphasis on correct doctrine or emphasis on loving people well. And a lot of times those who are, are, are on this side of it, we've got to make sure that doctrine is correct can be fairly unloving. 
and the way they go about that. And then there are those here on this side that are, just want to love everybody, but they just kind of throw correct teaching out the window and you know, just kind of do what you want to do. This is a great reminder to us that both of those can coexist at the, right, at the same time, right? We can make sure that our theology is correct, that our faith is in the right person and all that's right, and at the same time that we are loving well. So it's this faith and love that, that he is uh, commending them for. And then notice where that comes from. It says here, literally what it says is because of the hope stored up, and my translation says it springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven about which you have already heard. In other words, what, what Paul is saying here is that this faith and this love come from the assurance that we have in heaven. Now, I don't know how often you stop to, to think about what heaven will be like. Probably the older we get, the more often we think about it, right? I mean, that's just the truth. As young people, we tend to not think about it that much, but, but heaven is not something just to, you know, to think about when you think your life may be coming close to an end. What he says here is that the hope that we have in heaven provides this, this faith and this love. All of that flows out of the assurance that we have that one day we will be in the presence of God. And, and church, think about this. What, think about what heaven's going to be like. I mean, to be able to join our voices with millions of other voices as they are singing praise to Jesus. To be able to experience the, the beauty and the majesty of God and see that with our own eyes. To be able to walk the streets of gold that it talks about. To, to be in a place of absolute peace where there's no pain, there's no sorrow. And heaven it's an amazing place. And it's that hope that we have that this is what we look forward to, that this is really our home. I mean, earth is not our home. The Bible addresses us as aliens here. This is not our final destination, but we are citizens of heaven who happen to be living here on earth for now. But it's that hope of heaven, it says, that, that gives us um, the faith and the love that he's talking about. And it says that, that all of this has happened. It says uh, the gospel, verse 6, is bearing fruit, growing throughout the world, just as it has been doing since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. That word understood there means to know something by experience. Again, this is not an, just an intellectual understanding. This means that you have understood the grace of God in the sense that you have experienced this personally. And I know that many of you, your story is the same as my story, and that is that when I really came to personally know the grace of God, that changed everything for me. And I grew up, you know, going to church some, believing in God, knowing that I was supposed to be good, but not really understanding what it meant to know God and certainly to experience the grace of God. And I'm telling you that when I came to know Christ and experienced God's grace in my life in a personal way, that changed everything. And, and I know that that is the story for many of you, but I also want to say this. If it's not your story, it can be. It can be. To know, not just up here, but to truly experience the grace of God. And when that happens, did you notice what takes place as a result of that? It says that the gospel here is bearing fruit and growing. It's bearing fruit and growing in your own life, but right after that it says throughout the world. Did you catch that? 
Just as it has been doing in your life, this same gospel is growing and bearing fruit throughout the world. And, and he's reminding them, and I think we need to be reminded of this too, because I don't know about you, I, I sometimes get so caught up in all that's happening right here, right? In my area, in my community, in my little slice of the world, and sometimes I forget that there's a much bigger picture and that God is at work there. That's what he's reminding them of. And uh, I've just been reminded of that some this week if we've been making plans and talking with our friends from Kenya and in Doto ministry. They'll be here in a few weeks to share some stories and what God is doing there. And then we got some updates uh, from Mark and Sherilyn Hargrave, who are, uh, Mark was a, uh, was a member of Gateway and, and uh, moved to Alaska when they got married and they're involved in, in ministry there together. But they... Um, had a booth that they set up out at the State Fair of Alaska. It was the last week of, uh, toward the end of August and beginning of September. And I got a report from him just this week. Uh, through that, that booth that they go through, what's called the Wordless Book, and it's an opportunity to share with children, is their primary focus, but they also share with families who are there with them. They had 1,126 people that they shared the gospel with over that course of two weeks. 160 of them prayed to receive Christ right there. That's almost 15% of the people that they shared with. And we hear stories like that. It's like, man, that's encouraging, right? That, that here in, in another part of the world that's a long way away from us, God is, is working. And that's what he's reminding them of here. And so he, he continues to pray for them. Because the gospel is bearing fruit in their lives, he prays for them. And I want you to notice that, by the way. When somebody says, I'll pray for you, sometimes we take that as, is there something wrong with me that you're going to pray for me? He says, I'm praying for you, not because something's wrong, but because something's right. Because the gospel's bearing fruit, I want to continue to pray. And so quickly, I want, to, want us to just walk through the things that he, that he talks about here. Um, and when he, when he says that, that I'm praying these things for you. And, and all of this comes, it says... Uh, from continually asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So he makes it clear on the front end, this is God's doing, right? This is wisdom and understanding that comes from the Spirit of God. This, this would be in opposition to, I mentioned Gnosticism earlier, which that comes from the Greek word gnosis. This was a, a belief that it, you have to gain a certain type of knowledge, and that's where salvation comes from. But it wasn't a book knowledge. It was more of a mystical type, for example, like astrology or uh, magic arts. That kind of thing was more the, the type of thing that they dealt with there. Today, in our context today, that would be something along the lines of maybe a new age spirituality kind of a thing. And he's saying, look, th this is wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Not, not off on some weird path here, um, but the Spirit gives you that wisdom and understanding. And by the way, I was, I was reading in the book of Daniel this week, and when we think of wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives us, it's not just, just confined to what we might call spiritual types of issues. In Daniel 1.17, uh, it says, to these four young men... God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So through the Spirit, he gave them understanding about the Babylonian literature. So it's a, you know, broaden our, our understanding of, of where that comes from, but the point is this. This is wisdom and knowledge from God, not dependent on, upon themselves or, 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 in our case, upon our own selves. We're dependent on God to give this 
this wisdom and this knowledge. And then let's look at what it leads to. There are four things that it says it leads to. And I promise we're going to go through them quickly. But the first one is this. It says that we bear fruit in every good work. That, that is the, the first thing that we see when God is doing a work in us is that we bear fruit. Now, I want you to stop and think about this. What, what does it mean to bear fruit? What, what is the purpose of bearing fruit? A tree, just think of a tree that bears fruit, right? Anybody got fruit trees at home? Think about that. A tree that bears fruit does not bear fruit for its own benefit. Right? The tree doesn't consume the fruit that it bears. You might make the argument that a tree can sprout uh, leaves and things like that for its own benefit, maybe to provide shade for the roots and stuff like that. But there's no personal benefit to the tree of bearing fruit. It's for, the, for others who would take that fruit and benefit from it. So when we think about bearing fruit as followers of Christ, as disciples, that is something we do for the benefit of others, not for ourselves. Bearing fruit might look like sharing the gospel, sharing the good news. It might look like serving someone in need. It might look like meeting a, a need that a particular person has in the name of Christ. I mean, there are all kinds of different ways that we can bear fruit. So the question is, do you see that happening in your life? Is fruit being born in your life? And, and let me just say, for many of you, the answer is yes. I see that in you. I see that the, the, the gospel is bearing fruit in you. And that's so encouraging to me to see when I see you boldly sharing your faith. I see you serving. I, I see you blessing other people. I, I see a confidence that, that comes from God's spirit inside of you. And that's encouraging to see that and to see that, that you're bearing fruit in every good work. That's one of the things that he says will happen. And then the next thing he says is that we will grow in the knowledge of God. Continue to grow in the knowledge of God. In other words, we don't get stagnant. We don't ever, you, know, you know the point when we can stop growing? It's the point when we have exhausted every bit of who God is. And we understand every detail. And, and we're never going to get there, are we? So we continue to grow. By the way, speaking of continuing to grow, I, I'm, I'm just curious. If any of you have ever heard this before, that our noses and our ears never stop growing. Anybody ever heard that said before? As, as people, I'm just curious on this because I, I looked it up. I wanted to know. And so we're going to have a little participation here and play. How many of you think that's true and how many of you think it isn't? All right, so you have to participate. You have to raise your hand. How many of you say, I think it is true that our noses and ears continue to grow? You know, okay. How many of you think it's not true? That, 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 okay, we're, we're probably a little bit more on the true than not true there, but, but pretty close split. Here's the answer. This sounds like, yeah, I need to be a politician giving you this answer. You're both somewhat correct. <laughs> Technically, the answer is no. Our noses and ears do not continue to grow, but here's what happens. Because of gravity and because of the cartilage in them begins to, to kind of go away a little bit. Our noses and our ears, they begin to droop. That's actually what's happening. They don't grow, but gravity takes its place in the nose. You know, the earlobes kind of start to droop down. That's, there you go. So if you ever wondered, now you know what is happening. And by the way, the, uh, the, 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 our, our cheekbones kind of tend to recede a little bit. So it's exaggerated. As things get smaller here and larger here, and it just looks more like it. So for whatever that's worth today. But we do reach a point where we stop physically growing well yeah in some ways we grow in other ways right but but you know we reach a point where you don't get any taller I'll put it that way we start to shrink and get shorter but we continue to grow we should continue to grow in our knowledge of God and I just have to tell you I'm just going to speak personally it's easy to get lazy 
right? Especially if, if you feel like, you know, I have a decent understanding of who God is. It's easy to get lazy. To continue to grow in that knowledge means that there's discipline involved, things like memorizing scripture or studying theology and diving into things that for some people, you know, that's like ex- exhilarating and exciting, but others it's like, man, that's hard work. And yeah, but we, we have to continue to grow. Third thing he talks about here is that we develop endurance and patience. It says that we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, but I want you to notice the purpose of that is so that we are able to in, develop this patience and this endurance that we need. Um, I was actually doing some scripture memory work a few years ago, and I'll just confess to you, I've gotten a little lazy here recently. I need to get back on that, but I was in the book of Colossians, um, and in this particular chapter, right around the time, right, right soon after our youngest daughter was diagnosed with cancer, and we were in a very difficult season in our life. And many of you have been there before, and you know what I'm talking about, where you're just emotionally weary, and you just feel like you're kind of spent and just tired all the time. And it was during that season that I was memorizing uh, this passage when it says here about how we, uh, God gives us his, his power, it says, so that we can develop this patience and endurance. And it hit me in a new way that the strengthening of God in our lives is sometimes just to allow us to endure, right? I mean, yes, there are times where, you know, the power of God leads to sharing the gospel and, you know, planning churches and doing mission work and, you know, all kinds of the the bigger, you know, more exciting kinds of things. I mean, yes, sometimes that's what it looks like, but sometimes the, the strengthening of God in our life looks like just giving you what you need to make it through today and tomorrow and the day after that. Sometimes we just need the power of God just to to endure, just to make it to the next step. And then the last thing that comes out of all of this he talks about is that we give joyful thanks to God. How many times do we see that theme come up in Scripture, right? Over and over and over again. That we give joyful thanks to God. And, you know, that, that is a... A common theme, we know that, we know the importance of that. Frankly, for some, it may come a little bit easier than for others. You know, if you just naturally find yourself, you know, having more of an optimistic bent, maybe it's a little bit easier to focus on those things to be joyful about and to be thankful for. And if that's not your bent, and maybe if you struggle with depression and and there's just a a sadness that, that is constantly hanging over you, it's difficult, right? And maybe some of you can relate to that feeling of, you know, I know that I'm supposed to rejoice. I know that, but I, and I, I don't want to be sad. I don't want to struggle with this, but I have a hard time getting past it. And if that's the case, I just want to encourage you today and say, God has not abandoned you in that. If it does not come easy to, to give joyful thanks to God, um, it doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. And there may be times where you can't control some of those feelings that you have, but I'll tell you what you can control. What we can all control is our decision to give thanks to God anyway. To say, Lord, I'm going to be intentional about thanking you. And if you don't know where to start, verses 13 and 14 are a great, great place to begin. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves and whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins.
as apart from Christ, we are separated from God. We are on our, our own in this life. We don't have the hope of God in this life, and we are headed to an eternity where we will be separated from God forever in hell. But the Bible tells us that through Christ, we have been reunited with God. We have been brought back to Him. That does not have to be your story. If you don't know for, with absolute certainty that you have been brought back to God, that you have been, as it says here in this verse, that you've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son He loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you don't know those things to be true about you, you can. If you do know that to be true, then start there with the rejoicing. Start there with the giving thanks. God, thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. But if you don't know that, I want to give you an opportunity today to pray a prayer of faith and trust in Jesus. To say, Lord, I, I want to give you my life today. You can do this if you're watching online. Certainly you can do this here with us. If you already know Christ, I want to encourage you to use this time to maybe pray for somebody else that, that, that you know. That God would give you the opportunity to share the gospel with that person and that person's heart may be open. But if you're ready to pray a prayer of trust and faith in Jesus, and I just want to invite you to pray this with us. And we're going to put the words up on the screen if that helps. It's not about the words that we pray. It's about our heart. But sometimes it helps to have that to follow. So if you know you want to give your life to Jesus today, just pray a prayer like this. Let's pray together. Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I'm so sorry for the many ways I've turned away from you. I believe that you are God's son and that you died for my sins on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead in victory over sins. Right now, I turn from my sins and place my faith in you alone to save me. I give you my heart fully. In your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer of faith in Christ today, I want you to let us know about that. Guys, that's the most important decision that you will ever make is to trust in Jesus as your Savior. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity for you to, to respond. And this is a chance just to say, yes, I want someone to know that I've trusted in Christ. I want to let somebody know about this most important decision I've made. But for others that have already trusted in Jesus, my question for you is, what does it look like for you to say that, that I'm living out this faith? I'm trusting Jesus with everything that I have. Maybe there's some next step that you need to take today. And my prayer is that we're willing to take that step in obedience to him. Let's pray together again. Father, I do ask today that uh, you would give us just the courage to take the next step. Lord, I pray that, that we are able to trust in you wholeheartedly, whether that's for the first time or, Lord, whether that is just giving ourselves to you with no reservation. Lord, we're yours today. We commit ourselves to you and I want us to be fully surrendered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.